asking that gracefully. Yeah, of course. Father, thank you for uh, Stephen's, uh, the anointing on his life. I thank you, Lord, for the way he leads us in worship. But I thank you, God, for the word that you've put within him. And just ask in the name of Jesus that you would release that to us this morning. And we're privileged to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Randy. Hey, good morning, everybody. Some pretty good worship, don't you think? Uh, you know what? Speaking of Marcia Keel, you know, our worship, I, I personally thought it sounded amazing as well. And it's a thankless job. Nobody notices it unless something goes wrong. Dan Keel, the soundboard, can we give him a hand? He did a great job. Yeah. So when it sounds good, you know, make sure to tell him. And if it sounds bad, then come tell me because he's a good guy and he serves here faithfully. So, um that way it doesn't go to him. <laughs> uh, hey, what, what, let's do this this morning. Let's stand up all together. And uh, let's just, we've been in this series and we've been saying the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. So let's say that all together this morning. Got it on the screen if you need it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, that last part, for thine is the kingdom, I grew up Catholic, and so I'm still like trying to get, I'm trying to remember that. Because we, you know, I don't know why they just left that part out, but... Anyways, uh, hey, this morning uh, we are in a series called uh, Sit, Walk, Stand, and we're going through the, the book of Ephesians. And so uh, I'm speaking this morning from primarily Ephesians chapter 3, and the title of the message is The Scandal of Grace. And I'll tell you right now, uh, ahead of time, uh, I wrote on Facebook earlier this week that I was going to be speaking um, just to see if I can get some encouragement, and uh, and someone put on there that I will I will pay you five dollars if you mention the word poo in your message. And then another person wrote that they would pay me ten, so I'm at fifteen. And then another person said they'd pay me ten too, so twenty five dollars. So just be known, I'm going to try and fit it in there somewhere. So so poo, okay, all right. So there we go. Kill any sort of religious spirit we got going on here right now. Uh, Hey, while we're, so we're, we're looking at the book of Ephesians, but I, I realize that, that for, for us here in America, we don't really know uh, sort of the, the, the geography of this, of this book. And so uh, I wanted to show you a little bit this morning where actually Ephesus is, because the writer is writing to these people in a place called Ephesus. And so uh, we've got a map here. So this is, uh, this is ancient Greece and Rome, but it's more like present-day Turkey. And so at the far edge there, uh, towards the, the, the water, that's the blue stuff, um, you'll see uh, on the edge there at the bottom is where Ephesus was located. So Ephesus is a, is a place of uh, a lot of commerce um, back then. Um, it was uh, in the Roman period, which was before Christ's time, B.C., uh, it had a population of more than 250,000 people which made it one of the largest cities in the Mediterranean world. Uh, the city was very well known for uh, the temple of the goddess Artemis, um, which was a, a, one of the pagan goddesses. Uh, it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And around 57 B.C., Ephesus entered a, an era of great prosperity. Uh, it was second in importance and size only to Rome. 
So Rome is kind of like, I mean, this is like the, the, the great powerhouse of that, of that time. So Ephesus is a big place. Uh, around Jesus' time and around the time of the writing of the book, uh, it's about 400,000 to 500,000 people living uh, there. And so, uh, so this is a picture, oh, let's go back. So this is a picture of, this, of the temple of Artemis, uh, which was destroyed around um, 200 A.D. by uh, the Goths, which was an invading army. Um, so, you know, pretty amazing architecture considering the time period. Um, this next picture is a picture of the library. This is called the Library of Celsus. Again, if you look at kind of the ornateness of it, you can really see there's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of culture happening here in Ephesus. The art is something that's, that's really well known uh, in the ancient world. Uh, this next photo is, uh, again, culture. This is the theater, which to me is pretty impressive. I mean, that's like a lot of seats uh, back then. You can see the size of it compared to that guy down there. Um, and I think as it went on, the theater kind of went out of vogue, and gladiator games became more in vogue uh, here at this place. Uh, this is an interesting one. This is called the House of the Virgin Mary, and um, some say that this is the last place that Mary lived while on earth. And so, you know, whether that's true or not, I have no idea, but that's the, that's the, uh, the story there. And this last picture I want to show you is, the, is what's believed to be the, the tomb of St. John the Apostle. So there's a lot of really, really cool things in Ephesus, a lot of great Christian history, and non-Christian history, obviously, too. Um, so that's, the, that's the, the context here for the book of Ephesians. Uh, and the, the, the writer of the book of Ephesians is, is the Apostle Paul. And he wrote it around 61 A.D. from prison in Rome. Uh, he was a prisoner there awaiting trial, and he could not revisit this church. Uh, Paul, on his third missionary journey, he did three journeys, where he went around and, and basically shared the good news with people. And on his third time going around his little circuit, um, he, uh, he, he founded the church at Ephesus. And, um, and so uh, he was eventually pris- imprisoned. Uh, which we'll read about later. And uh, so he's writing to them because he can't go visit them again. And he's trying to encourage their faith. And, and in many ways, as we'll see, he's trying to encourage them to not get yoked by the bondage of religiosity and the bondage of, of the legal law of the Jewish uh, religion. And so uh, we've got a lot of kind of ground to cover here this morning. Um, so uh, I'll just jump right in. I was going to read it um, all at, at once, but it was just so much that I thought we could just break it down piece by piece. And so we're going to start this morning uh, from chapter 2, verse 22, and, um, and that goes until the end of the chapter. So uh, if you can put that up, that'd be, that'd be great. There we go. So uh, Paul's saying this, and this is coming out of, of the message translation. You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. And now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. 
We're seeing it take shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. All of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. And so that's kind of our context here. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was sharing with someone this morning, a friend of mine, I was saying, you know, I'm, con- I'm just concerned about, about this message because there's, it's really, it, the, 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 the passage of Scripture we're looking at is, is pretty um, scandalous. And, um, and, and my friend read it. She's like, yeah, I didn't really see that here. And, and, and it's, upon a cursory look at this, you, you won't see it. But if you know the historical context here in which Paul is writing, you will see sort of the scandal of grace as, uh, as, as a, a, a great author, Brennan Manning, uh, says it. So let me give you the backstory here. So, so Ephesus is, is not only a, a, a major pagan area, but it's also an area that's dominated by the Jewish religion. And, um, and the Jewish religion was, was, was very uh, select. If you were here last week, Randy talked about how they wouldn't even let you mingle with Gentiles. Randy talked about his, his grandmother uh, marrying a Lutheran. And this is, you know, much later when they relaxed a lot and, and her family uh, disowned her. And so, so uh, Jews were not allowed to even sort of interact with Gentiles, let alone, um, you know, be accepted into what is the kingdom of God or friends with God. And so, as we, as we read last week, uh, one of the authors, William Barclay, wrote that, that Gentiles were basically good for, for fueling the fires of hell. And, and Gentiles are you and I. Okay, so that's us. Unless you're here a, a born Jew, um, we're the Gentiles. And so this, this, this is pretty, uh, pretty radical for Paul to be writing these things today. Uh, to say that you are not an exile. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. And so looking at it in that context, you can kind of begin to see that, that Paul is just saying that this is really sort of a, a new system. This is a system not of law and of legality, but a system of grace and mercy. And if you really look at grace, I think, you know, in today's world, you know, we hear things like, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You know, I mean, grace is really something that that is pretty radical in its in its uh, purest form, in its non-distilled form. And in a, in a current context, you know, we still kind of have to have to look at this. And and when you see this, I hope that you can see that you know what this means. What this really means is it's an encouragement to you. It means that you can be authentically you. That you don't have to put on a show to be in the kingdom of faith, to be a Christian, to be a believer. You don't have to change who you are. You don't have to have your hair a certain way or listen to Christian music or subscribe to some magazine or read certain books, whatever it might be. You are free to be you and to be in on the inside, to be a friend of God, to be close with Him. God loves you. For you, amongst all your warts, amongst all your shortcomings, amongst all your failures, God loves you for you. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone, Paul says. You know, uh, a couple years ago, I, 
I, uh, my wife and Amanda and I, we, we lead a band called Thousand Generations. It was, they were actually, all the guys were up there this morning. It was kind of neat, um, except for me. Um, and uh, we went to this place a couple of years ago. We got this gig for like three months out in California. It was really great. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was at this, this Christian camp. It was up in the mountains. It was beautiful. Um, but I remember when I got there, uh, I, at the time I had a, uh, an eyebrow piercing. And, um, and I got there, and the, and the head of the camp pulled me aside and said, Hey, uh, I'm sorry to, to, to tell you this, but you're going to have to take that out. And I, and I was just really confused. I was like, well, why? I mean, I mean, it's not hurting anybody, right? I mean, it's not a health issue for someone or anything. And he said, well, you know, it's not a big deal to me, but, you know, for some of our older, you know, leaders and stuff, like, they just, they just, they just associate that with worldly stuff or whatever. And I just remember being really disappointed, you know. I took it out, you know. And honestly, I, I didn't put it back in. I, now I feel like maybe I'm getting a little too old for it. But uh, but, but I was really disappointed because I just felt like I can't authentically be me, you know. Now, I realize that for, for some people in leadership and things, that there, there, are, there are different maybe things to abide by. But, but uh, it, just, it, felt, it felt disingenuous, you know. And, uh, and, and, that, and I'm sure some of you have your own stories about how maybe, you know, in order to be a part of the kingdom of faith or whatever, you were told that you have to, to act a certain way or do certain things or whatever it is. And Paul's kind of breaking that right here and saying, look, that's not how it is. That's not how we operate. We're breaking the religious stuff. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God... And then you look at this next verse, and I love this, where he says that he's using all of us. He's making a building. He used the apostles and prophets as the foundation, and now he's fitting us in, brick by brick, into this holy temple that he's building. And what that says to me as I read that is that, is that we need you to be authentically you. We don't need you to be the cleaned up version of you. We don't need you to be the Christian, you know, version of who you are. We need you to be you. And some of you wish that you looked a certain way or that you fit in with a certain crowd. I know some of you even struggle with things like eating disorders and things like that. But the reality here is that is that God created you to be authentically you. We need you to play the role that you were created for. We can't finish the holy temple that God's building without you. And I think, you know, so often, I think religious people are the worst offenders of all, of trying to shape us into a certain mold. Talk like this, you know, watch only these movies, you know. It's, it's, it's essentially putting the legal system back into place. It's saying that you, you need to subscribe to these certain things in order to be a part of the kingdom of faith. And, you know, I say that, and I, and, and I, I, I want to say that, you know, Paul says in his other writings, he says, you know, everything is permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. And so, you know, everything is permissible. Not everything's beneficial. So I know there's certain things for me that, you know, I don't need to partake in, you know, because it's, it's not good for, for me. So hear that. But, but I, I do want to say that you, you need to know that if your neighbors, the people around you, know you more for what you stand against than what you stand for, I really question if we're reading the same gospel of Christ that he gave his life for. 
there's a book, I, I love this book, it's called The, the Ragamuffin Gospel. It was like this scandalous book for a while, and this great author, Brendan Manning, um, who I actually got to, to know personally uh, a couple of years ago, and he says it like this, the legalists, the Puritans, the prophets of doom, and the moral crusaders are having a hissy fit over the Pauline teaching of justification by grace through faith. That's what we're reading here. They take umbrage at the freedom of the children of God and dismiss it as licentiousness. They do not want Christianity to help us become whole, but to feel wretched under its burden. That's the legal law. That's the Jewish law, the system. They seek to intimidate us, to make us afraid, file through their exclusive pathway of righteousness, and control rather than liberate our lives. The perverted spirit of legalism would cripple the human spirit and send us sagging under great schools of rules and regulations. The thrilling quality of their dedication, and I love this, zealotry is always impressive, obscures the fact that they accept the gospel in theory, but they deny it in practice. Amen. And, you know, I think some of us, we look at that and like, man, that's really harsh. But you know what? Like, that's pretty tame compared to the way Jesus said it. I mean, he called the religious people, you whitewashed tombs. You are, you are withholding the gospel of heaven, the entrance to the kingdom of heaven, by your religious rules. You are holding people back. So, uh, continuing on here, moving into chapter 3 here, uh, with, with Paul's teaching here from Ephesians. He says, this is why Paul... I am in jail for Christ, having taken up the cause of you outsiders, so-called. I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. I got the inside story on this from God himself, as I just wrote you in brief. And again, again, we're all outsiders, okay? So unless you're born of the Jewish lineage here, you are an outsider. And, and I want to tell the story really quickly of Paul, because I don't know that all of us necessarily know it. So Paul, the Apostle Paul... Um, who, who you see here, uh, is, uh, he's, he is born a Jew. And, and the way he puts it, he's, he, he says, I am, I am born a Jew of Jews. So he's like the inside of the inside of the inside. Okay, So his blood lineage is like straight from uh, Joseph you know, and, and, and Abraham and all these great men of, of the faith. And, uh, and he is, a, is what's called a Pharisee, which is a, a religious uh, leader at the time. They, they do get a bad rap in the New Testament, but uh, they weren't all, all bad. But, 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 uh, but many of them were, and Paul was about the worst of the worst, okay? So he, this message about Jesus is going out, and it's spreading, and Paul is trying to stop it and, and to quench it. And so his solution is, you know what, we, we should kill the people that try to get the message out. So that's Paul. He is a murderer, okay? He goes around, and he's killing people. He's, he killed some of the uh, the he killed uh, Saint Stephen who was who was uh, one of the apostles, and um, is that right? Was he an apostle? Randy would know. Apostle, thumbs up, thumbs down. Stephen, first martyr. Stephen's in apostle. I thought so. I thought so. So uh, anyways, he was there when he was murdered, and uh, and so Paul is on his way to a city called Damascus. And he's riding a horse, and all of a sudden. On this horse, he's wearing his full, you know, military garb or whatever, uh, his warrior suit, and he's struck by a, by a shaft of light, and he's blinded, and he's thrown off his horse, and he hears the voice of God, and, and not just him, but the people around him hear the voice of God, saying, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me, being God? 
why do you kick against the goats of what I'm doing, basically? And so, so Paul is struck blind. He has no idea what's going on except for that he's blind, he can't see. And he goes, and he goes to one of these Christians named Ananias, okay? And Ananias is terrified to meet Paul because he knows about Paul. And, and, um, and he's thinking, Paul's going to kill me. But instead, uh, Ananias gets to pray for Paul, and Paul receives his sight. I love this, this next picture, actually, even out of all of them. And this is beautiful because you can see, if you look at the bottom, you can see his, his sword and, uh, and his shield and his, and his armor. And you see him uh, more like in his... Uh, you know, traditional garb there, up there. You can see the other warriors with him there on the left, and you can see Ananias in his old age praying for him, see the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And then Paul receives his sight. So this is like scales that came off his eyes. It's like scales. So all of a sudden he can see. That's where we get that was blind, but now I see. I mean, it's a metaphor for us in Amazing Grace, but, but for Paul it was real, you know? So that's Paul. Um, Paul is, uh, is, is one of the most influential people in our culture. I remember a couple years back I saw a Time magazine with the a, with a cover saying the most hundred influential people of the Western world. And number one was St. Paul. I think number three or number two was Jesus. So again, it's not, we're not elevating Paul above Jesus, but just his writings being so influential. They said it. I, I didn't say it. So just don't, don't email me after this, okay? I'm not saying Paul's more important than Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, continuing on for what he's saying here. So, he says, As you read over what I've written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ, the mystery of who Christ is. And the mystery is this, that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of Him all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer the same help and the same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone, everyone across the board, everyone of all cultures, of all tribes, of all looks, of all hairdos. And you know, this was, and rightly was, incredibly scandalous. And real grace, if it's ever not scandalous, then it's not real grace. Because it's saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to pay you the same wage, you who worked, you know, 50 hours out in the field, the same wages as the guy that I just brought in to work in the field for five minutes. It's, it's unfair. Grace is unfair. Real grace is unfair. And um, I'm going to take a look at, at Matthew 9 in terms of it, it being scandalous to religious people. Jesus does it like this. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me. And Matthew stood up and followed him. Okay, now, tax collectors are, have never been favored in society. But back then, they were especially hated because they were, like, they were basically traitors to their own people. Okay? So later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. So you get in this scene, right? Jesus, you know. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher, acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? And Jesus overhearing shot back, hey, let me ask you a question. Who needs a doctor? 
The healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not just coddle insiders. And instead of providing my own commentary on this, I, I, I again want to point to uh, the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, where Brendan Manning says this. Here is a revelation, bright as the evening star. Jesus comes for sinners, for those as outcast as tax collectors, and for those caught up in squalid choices and failed dreams. He comes for corporate executives, street people, superstars, farmers, hookers, addicts, IRS agents, AIDS victims, and used car salesmen. No, no offense to any used car salesman. Second service, my friend, he just got out of being used car salesman, so he might hate this. Uh, but Jesus comes for him, you know. Jesus not only talks with those people, but he dines with them. He eats in what we would probably have as the bars, you know, or wherever. You know, the, the places maybe even you and I wouldn't walk into without uh, somebody big. I don't know. Uh, fully aware that his table fellowship with sinners will raise the eyebrows of religious bureaucrats who hold up the robes and insignia of their authority to justify their condemnation of the truth and the rejection of the gospel of grace. So this, this is the mystery Paul is talking about here. That's why I said, like, when I say that, like, I'm intimidated by this, is because it's scandalous. It's meant to be intimidating. It's meant to shock. So continuing on here, um, Paul says this, This is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me. As we saw, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that it had nothing to do with natural abilities. So again, understanding Paul, like, this guy is the religious dude of religious dudes. Like, he's never even associated with Gentiles. And here he is hanging out with them, preaching to them, like uh, um, philosophizing with them, if, if that's a word, I don't know. In the book of Acts, though, we see him talking to philosophers. And, you know, I see two things for us in, in terms of today. Number one, maybe there's some of you here where, like, your life hasn't turned out the way it was planned. You have failed dreams. You're disappointed. And, you know, honestly, if anybody was a disappointment, it was Paul. This guy had, like, the lineage. He was in with the Pharisees. He was on the religious leader, you know, top ten. And he gave it all away. Why? So he could go and be arrested and whipped and preaching to pagans and atheists and agnostics. And so if you're here today and you say, man, I don't know what kind of journey I'm on. God has me out, so far out from where I thought I would be. Maybe you're on the right path. Maybe your failed dreams weren't really dreams of God's in the first place. Maybe now you're beginning to start to walk down this path that God has for you. So I see that in there. And the second thing I see is that this should encourage all of us with sharing our faith with outsiders. Sometimes, you know, I, we, we get so stuck in, like, I'm so intimidated, you know, and I don't know... Well, I mean, this is Paul, like, again, the religious dude of religious dudes. And he's out there, and he's sharing his faith. 
You're not intimidated by them. See, you don't have to be something you're not. Paul wasn't pretending to be something he was. Or he wasn't. Paul's just being authentically him and sharing the good news. You know, the scriptures call Jesus, he's the desire of every nation. So we don't need to, like, present it and box it up in a certain way and make it look cool. You can be authentically you and still share the good news. You can even not really know what the heck you're talking about. Like, in terms of, like, I don't really understand all this stuff. Well, you know, you don't, you don't need to. The good news is the good news. Christ is the desire of every nation. I mean, do we believe that, though? Do we believe he's the desire of every nation? Um, continuing on. And so here I am preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. Again, Paul doesn't even know what he's talking about. And he's the number one influencer of all time, apparently, to Time Magazine. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through followers of Jesus, like yourself, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. So I want to say that again, and, and I want you to hear it in terms of this last sentence, not in terms of like first century um, Ephesus, but 21st century Indianapolis. Through followers of Jesus, like yourself, gathered in the churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. The extraordinary plan of Christianity, of, of Jesus coming to, to love us and to bring us into right relationship with God is becoming known. It's spreading. It's like an infectious disease that's spreading. And so I just want to take a minute um, and just ask, this is kind of like uh, non-traditional for us, but I, I wanted to take a minute and just ask you, I'm really curious because I believe the scripture and I believe that in our lives, that some of you are seeing this come to pass. I'm seeing it in, in my neighborhood, and it's exciting for me. Sometimes it's discouraging because it doesn't happen as fast as I want it to, but I'm seeing people around me, like, hear about the message of Christ. And, and I'm seeing lives change. I'm seeing people, I'm seeing people come, to, come to Christ. And it's really exciting. So I just want to take a minute and just ask you, like, just, just you know, raise your hand, and, 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 and I'll call in your reverend. Just stand up. I just want to hear, like, what's going on? Like, how do you see the... the through followers of Jesus like ourselves gathered in churches, how, how do we see this encouraging plan of God becoming known? And by the way, I'm totally comfortable with silence, so if it takes a few minutes for someone to get the, the nerve, I'm fine with that, but how do you, how do you see it spreading in your sphere of, of, of influence? Jessica, yeah, yeah, can you, can you share? Yeah, thanks. So community night, that happens here. Yeah, that's awesome. People getting served and loved on without judgment. Where else? Yeah.
Yeah, that's awesome. God using babies. Doesn't, you know, I mean, if God can use babies, they don't know anything, you know. I mean, certainly he can use us, right? Dan, do you have a, a mic? Actually, I think it would be great. To, who, who else? Who wants to, to share how you see God making this extraordinary plan known? Yeah, Sandy. Here, let, let me grab, let's grab the mic here. Hello. Um, I'm a nurse and I work at um, a medical office with a bunch of medical assistants and front office people. And when things get stressed out or things are going, you know, haywire with people, um, you know, I'll offer to pray for them. So people have been sick or had operations or um, a couple of them go to school. So I'll just, you know, put my hands on them and pray for them when they're really, you know, feel like they need, you know, they're they're having trouble. So I did this for quite a while, and then one morning, uh, one of the MAs, she goes, man, she said, what we need to do is have prayer every morning. And she said, come on, Sandy, let's pray. So now we have a circle of prayer, and we, we don't do it every single day, but most of the days, I say two or three times a week, we all stand in a circle, and we hold hands. None of these people know Jesus as their personal <laughs> Savior. <laughs> But um, so here we are praying, you know, and they're going, man, I feel that. I feel the spirit, you know. And so, you know, I don't know what God's going to do with this, but um, he's definitely working. Amen. That's awesome. That's cool. Thanks, Sandy. Somebody else. How do you see God making this message known? David. All right. Well, when you first posed the question, I was really kind of, stunned by that question because it's something I don't actively think about, I guess, and maybe a lot of us don't think about that. But I begin to reflect back on my life. I was raised maybe a little bit like Paul in this extraordinarily conservative, strict environment. And uh, as I was going back to my mind, as remembering as a teenager, um, there was a certain amount of pressure like in a youth group you had to go out and go to the mall and hand out tracts or, you know, do various activities that prove that you were somehow a believer, and uh, yeah, and nothing nothing against people who do that, and that's you know natural for them. But for me, it was never natural, and uh, so I rebelled against that as I went into my adult years, and actually just walked away from my faith for about ten years. Had nothing to do with it because it had all been imposed on me, but it was never it was never presented as a way of being. It was a it was like a way of doing, mm-hmm. and when I finally was able to make peace with all that after about a decade of just walking around flipping off God, basically, and came back around, I have found that my way of being is just simply just to be who I am, and that's what God wants me to be. And I find that it shows up in the everyday life in the little things. That, you know, someone will say, hey, you know, you were really calm in that situation, and that kept me from getting aggravated when everybody else around was getting all crazy. Or, you know, things like that. And so you see that God will just show up if you just be who you are and not try to be what somebody else says you should be because that's their way of being. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. And so I think that's what I see Paul saying right there is that you just be what God made you to be. And let him work out all the stuff in just the everyday part of your life without you even trying. It will show up. I think that's that's how we show our faith. It just, it just shows up. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Um, My mom had felt like she should really do a group 
for middle school girls because at my school they need it, and um, I think they need it at every school. So every other Saturday we usually just get together and um, we do this group, and we call it Soul Sisters, and um, we just talk together and pray and stuff, and I think it really strengthens people. It really helps us to know um, that we're not alone in what we believe and what we're doing. And so it just really strengthens us through being together. So. That's awesome. Amen. Uh, I think we got some space for, for one more person. Is anybody? How is the... Ex- I'm sorry. <laughs> the plan of God. How is the plan of God, extraordinary plan of God, becoming known? Yeah, all the way in the back. Is that Ari? Yeah, my friend Ari. Uh, So I'm a freshman at a gigantic high school, and every, every morning on Tuesdays there's a club called Student Venture where Christians at the high school can just go and connect and everything. And one morning, um, they started going a little late, so school was getting ready to start. And as the message was wrapping up, the teacher there was just repeating over and over again, God knows your name and he loves you, as maybe a couple hundred kids were walking through the cafeteria on their way to classes and stuff. So it just got me really excited to think of all the people who might be hearing that and maybe thinking of God in a way they'd never had before. That's awesome. Yeah. Simple, but yeah, I mean, that plants seeds, you know. Thanks for sharing. Well, good. That's cool. I'm sure there's a lot of other stories I wish we could, man, I wish we had like an hour. Maybe we can do that tonight at the congregational meeting, talk about some testimonies. But um, yeah, I mean, it's happening amongst us, you know, and it it should be happening amongst us. Uh, So to finish off uh, our our reading here, we go to... uh, the end it says this all of this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus when we trust in him we're free to say whatever needs to be said bold to go wherever we need to go so don't let my present trouble him being in prison on your behalf get you doubt excuse me be proud um, this message is so good and so amazing that Paul has, has, has given everything and he doesn't seem to mind uh, that he he may even have to give his life for its dissemination. So um, I think I think for those of us that have been in the faith for a, a while, this is a this is a message of uh, it could be a message of encouragement or it could be a, a message of, of realigning ourselves to the real gospel. Sometimes we, we we start following Jesus and we just get caught up in in such you know. Other things, I mean, Paul says that, you know, the, the message of Jesus is simple, you know. And so maybe this morning it's time to, to realign ourselves and maybe to repent and say, you know, I've, I've, I've picked up some, some legalism, legalism. And maybe for some of us this morning, uh, we recognize that, um, that, you know, this is the message I want in on. To sum it all up, uh, I've got a quote here from uh, a guy named Thomas Merton. He's a scholar. He says this, A saint is not someone who is good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. I mean, do we believe that? So often, I, I, 
I, even myself, I look at the goodness of people. There's nothing inherently good in us, though. Just the goodness of God. And to wrap it up well, Brendan Manning puts it this way. Aristotle said that I am a rational animal. I say that I am an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. I love that. I love that. Um, why, don't, why don't we stand and we'll, we'll pray close. Lord, thank you so much for this gospel that you've given us, this gospel of grace, Lord. It is truly good news, Lord. And for those of us that it's not good news, Lord, then something's horribly wrong, Lord. Lord, this gospel of grace was meant to be shocking, to be scandalous, to be, um, to be unfair, Lord. And yet we say, Lord, thank you so much because we're the, we're the ones, us Gentiles, us pagans, us agnostics and everyone, Lord, we're the ones that get to receive the benefits of your grace. So thank you, Lord, for grafting us in, Lord, to your great plan. And I wonder this morning that if there's anyone here this morning, as you're hearing this message, you recognize, you know what? Like, I'm not in that. I haven't yet really received this and believed on this Jesus that you're talking about. And so, no, you know, no intimidation here or anything, but all eyes are closed and heads are bowed. And if you're here this morning and you recognize, you know, I, I want in. This, I can do this. I want to know God because you can know God. You can know who he is and his intimate love for you. And I'm ready to make that, that journey, start that journey today. Then I just ask you, just, would you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking except for me. If that's you, just raise your hand. Okay, I see you. Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. All right. Well, Lord, this is exciting. I thank you, Lord, that uh, that we've got uh, someone here this morning, Lord, that wants to jump in. And so, Lord, we just say thank you for that. And I'm so excited for their journey to begin. And... Um, and, uh, Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that, that uh, we could come to you, Lord, and realize the scandalousness of your grace, Lord, and just fall in love with it all over again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you raised your hand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sitting right here, and I would love to just talk to you and just to share um, about, about how, how you start that. Um, We'll have our communion servers come forward. For those of you that, that would say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm on the inside now. Was an outsider, now an insider. Um, we want to invite you to the communion tables. There's a, a station of wine on the outside and stations of grape on the inside. You just come forward, dip the bread in the cup, and take it back to your seat. So uh, whenever you're ready to come forward, please do. And like I said, for any who raise their hand, uh, you can come on forward and I'll talk to you. And if you need prayer for anything else, you need uh, you you, you want to come talk to somebody, you want to get prayer for, I don't know, anything, physical healing or prayer for your family, whatever it might be, we're going to have some folks who, who are on our prayer team come forward and, and they'll do that. So, Lord, thank you so much, God, for your great love for us. May we take it with us as we go today. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll get our prayer team to come forward now and uh, have an incredible weekend. God bless you.